This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on the Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. On today's Property Show, we are in conversation with Ms. Chan Ai Cheng. She's the president of the Malaysian Institute of Estate Agents. As we dissect her perspective on whether the 12th Malaysia plan was for the housing market a net positive or net negative, as well as get her views on budget 2022, 12th Malaysia plan, net positive or net negative for the property sector. Overall, I believe it's a net positive. Um, the government has looked into the infrastructure. They've thought of the affordable housing. Um, they thought of the financing for the affordable housing. And um, yeah, so I think overall, it would be a net positive for the property sector. You mentioned about affordable housing and that there was quite a lot of emphasis of affordable housing in the plan. Uh, but in the plan also, it mentioned that the government plans to build nearly half a million additional houses for the B40 and M40. Is there really that amount of demand? When affordable housing is mentioned, normally when the government refers to affordable housing, they're referring to their the schemes that they have um, come up with, things like Prima, Rumah Selangorku, Rumah Weep and the likes. So these property prices are pricing between 250000 plus or minus. And um, yes, so they are very affordable and they are also, some of them are also located in very good locations. And as such, the demand is strong. So when, when people say that, is it too many? I, I think um, the public has been screaming for help from the government and saying that, no, houses are no longer affordable. We, we can't buy any property anymore uh, because of our income level and the rising prices of property. So in terms of affordable housing, there will always be a demand. What is probably lacking is the mismatch of where the locations are and the type of product. You know, whether it's located within the areas where uh, people want to be or the type of property, uh, type of property, whether it should be a landed or it should be a high rise kind of thing. So it's more of that than whether the 500,000 will have demand. Definitely, if the property price is affordable, the demand is there. So my question is, why is it in the past we've never really got our act together in really defining affordable housing correctly. And as you said, there's so many agencies that are looking at it. Why hasn't anyone done a customer survey about what is affordable and what do customers really want? Yeah, and I think uh, there was once uh, one Minister of Housing before that in- mentioned that they wanted to gather all these uh, affordable housing um, you know, different, different affordable housing concepts and put it all under one, you know, and manage it that way. I think that would be the right approach. That means not everyone coming up with their own little, little schemes, but a mega scheme for the entire nation that could incorporate all these different schemes so that there's an overall umbrella that oversees all these affordable housing, where they're going to be located, where the demands are, and and rather than just building uh, to fulfill a, a quota, you know, like, oh, I need to build 500,000, so it doesn't matter where I build, I just go build it. No, I don't think that is the angle. Um, so it, it has to be a lot of planning at the at the start. We mean, we talk a lot about issues that where you want to reach out to the community and decentralise it, but actually for housing, it's better to centralise it and make sure it's more coordinated, right? Yes, definitely. And it comes back to the point earlier on about the definition of affordability, which then touches on this issue of price. Because 
Apparently, there is even some discussion that there is a plan to introduce a ceiling price. Now, don't you think this distorts market? Yes, yes. This one has uh, really caught the attention of a lot of property players, especially for agents, uh, all of us agents in the secondary market. Okay, how we look at it is, I mean, well, on the surface, it may seem like a good move, you know, uh, but I am of the opinion that this actually sets back the buyers who would actually now become the owners of the affordable housing, um, you know, and in, in a way, for want of a better word, uh, that they remain in the status that they are. I mean, the whole idea of property purchase is number one, of course, to have a roof over your heads. Okay, number two, property to a greater extent is a hedge against inflation. So as as uh, other prices going up, your property price also follows up. And of course, number three, property as an investment helps to elevate a person's financial standing when they invested correctly. So the potential for the owners of the affordable housing to make from the capital appreciation and thereby later improve their quality of life should not be taken away from them. And, and not to mention that the interest they would have paid on the property over the years, you know, they, they say on average that if, you know, if you were to buy uh, take a, um, a financing for a property, the interest that you have paid over the 30, 35 years could be coming up close to the amount of the <laughs> property as well. So if the cap, if the ceiling was too low, then you would disadvantage these uh, owners. But if you put the ceiling at too high, then it defeats the purpose. So what pricing are they going to put the ceiling at? Yeah, I, I, how, so how do you determine pricing? And I guess you're even recommending, let's not even, let's ditch that whole thing. What is the alternative solution then to kind of help, you know, people get onto the property ladder? I think that was the broader intention of this ceiling price. But as you say, it's ridden with so many issues. What is the alternative then? Um, there are our neighbouring countries. There's uh, a one, I think in Singapore, they, they have a very good uh, HDB uh, um concept for, in a way, affordable housing, uh, whereby their citizens are allowed to purchase, I think, one unit um, in, in their lifetime. And thereafter, a lot of these um, average Singaporeans later on improve their quality of life because their property price actually increased in value and they made from the uh, capital appreciation. And then some of them went into the private market after that. So they were from the uh, government housing into the private uh, market. The, we call it the private properties or something like that. So, I mean, I'm not very sure about how the mechanics work, but I know my friends there, they are all eager, wanting to buy HDB. And then later on, they said they can sell it and they can move and improve their quality of life. So I think that's how affordable housing should be. The government should look at how you start out not having much, but when you own this property, and then in maybe 5, 10, 20 years time, you are better off than you were. So then I would say that that's a successful affordable housing plan. Right. So focus on the first mover, essentially, and not about the transaction per se. Yes. So it starts with the start, how they get on board the affordable housing. I think all of these schemes also have their restrictions, like you can't sell in five years, you know, you can't rent it out, it's meant for you to stay. So you could add the conditions there, yeah, uh, more on that, rather than to control their potential for an upside. Unless, are they saying that the affordable housing is not going to increase in price because of where it's located? I think, I don't think that should be the concept how the, you know, the, the thought process, uh, you know, should be coming from. Mm -hmm. So we want to find a way where it starts out as they struggling to afford to buy that very first property. But after they got that, then they improve their quality of life as 
you know, thanks to this purchase. I think then that's where it works. And I want to just shift our conversation to, you know, another element of the 12th Malaysia plan was about how do we help, you know, first-time buyers you know, secure the right housing financing facilities. Now, we haven't seen much details about it, but there's a lot of talk about, you know, youth housing schemes, a fund for affordable housing, and even a rent-to-own program for the B40, right? In your assessment, what's the best way to help B40? Normally, um, for, for the affordable housing category, it's good that the financing is like coming up to 100%. And I think that's what's been happening anyway. So the government realizes that they need more assistance in financing and possibly a lower interest rate uh, compared to a, com- a conventional loan and a, probably a stretched tenure as well. Because mm-hmm. the, the person's life can improve over time. It's just that at point of purchase, they, are, they could be struggling. But we are hoping that with the, with the right pricing, of course, the, the like, you know, 250000 or plus or minus, that kind of pricing. And then plus the financing that helps them, that stretches, that they maybe only need to pay a few hundred a month to, to live in there. You know, it's much, you know, it's like instead of paying rent, you're actually paying towards the ownership of your home. Then I think the plan works. Hmm. And I mean, shifting beyond the classic definition of affordable housing, but just broader overall property. I mean, there wasn't much... Um, in, in terms of like investments there. But there was a lot of push about amending the Strata Management Act to strengthen the roles of JMB, you know, perhaps introducing a Residential Tenancy Act. Uh, basically, I think more to protect the tenants uh, and to also give them a bit more protection, right? Do you see anything that stood out from you in terms of providing greater protection and, you know, transparency and coverage for house owners across Malaysia, actually? Yeah, we definitely welcome the Residential Tenancies Act uh, because uh, that is one thing that we have been waiting for, for our sector. We are really waiting for this because it clarifies and it gives more um, protection for both landlords and tenants, not just tenants, both landlords and tenants. And if we model after a model like uh, Australia, Residential Tenancies Act, I think it's fantastic. Even the they had a bond authority to hold the deposits. You know, sometimes the, the tenants fear that the landlords won't return their deposit, you know, kind thing so the deposits are actually held by a uh, independent authority bond authority and also there will be independent checks on you know verification of the works uh, whether the, at the handover everything is in order so it will minimize a lot of the headaches currently a lot of landlords and tenants are facing uh, when they are moving out of the property yeah all sorts of uh, disputes over there lah. Yeah. Right. So yes, we definitely welcome the Residential Tenancies Act. We can't wait. You know, do you think the bigger challenge isn't that, look, all these are great initiatives, but the bigger issue is that there's a bigger budget of 400 billion ringgit, which will mean there's a pressure on the government to widen the tax base. So they're going to basically reintroduce a whole bunch of taxes, you know, that will probably affect property owners. What's your biggest fear, actually, with respect to the pressure the government will have on the property sector to rely on them as a source of revenue? Well, I, I believe that the Minister of Finance actually said that he's not going to introduce any new uh, taxes, not in the new budget for 2022. Not in 22, but 23 perhaps. Yeah, so for the time being, uh, he says no, while we are stabilizing the uh, economy and, and try to kickstart the whole thing. So, um, of, of course, there are thoughts of uh, SS, uh, GST coming back into play. I mean, there's, there's some discussions about that. And, and things like that. Um, but I don't see any 
particular one that spring out? I mean, there was a discussion many years ago about vacancy taxes, but I don't think there's any time, the right time to introduce anything like that. Uh, there was also talk of inheritance tax and all that, but that, but that was all thrown out of the, you know, thrown out of the window. So I can't think of any. Uh, possibly, maybe adjustments in the RPGT rates mm. and possibly stamp duty, that kind of thing. But uh, not that I can think of. We'll, we'll talk about RPGT after the break. We'll be back with more after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today is Ms. Chan Ai-Cheng, President of Malaysian Institute of Estate Agents. You know, Ms. Chan, we talked earlier about the 12th Malaysia plan, a lot of focus on how do we get the B40, M40 onto the property ladder. But we are, we are in really unprecedented times and the market is really volatile. Do you see significant property overhang? Okay, this property overhang has been the, the, the issues that has been, actually it's nothing new. It has been uh, the talk of town for many years now. Uh, and I, I, I always feel that the, the issues with overhang is always mismatch. It's just the wrong product in the wrong place, or it's the it could be the right product in the wrong place, or the wrong product in the right place, or, or something is just not right, and hence it remains unsold. So the, the people that really suffer from an overhang situation are those who are holding these assets, having to maintain it, having to, uh, you know, to look after it until such time that they can offload this to a buyer. So the overhang situation is mainly like that. Yeah, it's mainly in this particular category, we'd say. And so this mismatch, I think it's a big problem, coupled by the fact that you have volatile and soaring material costs. I think we expect abandoned housing projects to start proliferating. What do you think the government should do to try to address this mismatch? Actually, the, the, the way to address property overhang is from the root source, which is at the start, at the planning stage, at the, the control should have been done then. I mean, you know, it may not be very popular, but uh, there, there needs to be you know, maybe more in-depth uh, research as to the demand and maybe to a certain extent even request pre-registration of interest in the project prior to that project being able to kick off the ground. I mean, of course, everyone is very optimistic, you know, when they plan something that, oh yeah, there's a lot of demand. I think uh, in my mind, a lot of people will be interested. But then when you launch it, they realize, hey, what's happening? The market doesn't respond the same way that you thought it would. So a proper research and, and maybe survey, uh, feedback to get gather demand data, that would probably be a better way forward. That means, okay, whatever that's overhang right now, okay, we'll find a way to, um, to address it. But uh, while we are looking at that, we also need to go back and look at the root source because if it doesn't come into the market, it doesn't become a problem. So let's look at the root source, at the planning, to control there somewhat and therefore create, I mean, in future, we have a reduction of such uh, situations. I mean, I remember many years back, uh, though it wasn't very popular, right? Uh, I remember one of the local authority actually did a freeze on commercial property development. Yeah, I think, wow, everybody went on a, whoa, you know, like, well, it was such a shock to the system. But uh, although it was a shock to the system, that move actually helped to stabilize the commercial market in that particular area and improve the situation. 
Of course, I'm not suggesting that, you know, the government implements something so drastic, but something to a similar concept. That means something to control at the start to ensure that the demand is right. You know, we think sometimes that perhaps is the housing market in Malaysia really too big to fail? And, we, you know, we see what's happening in China. I mean, I don't think we're going to end up having another Evergrande of, of this scale and size, but we are worried that there are actually these really large, well-known and huge property developers here, which could be under a lot of pressure, right? Especially if this mismatch continues. Uh, yes. Unfortunately for Malaysia, we, we have the Housing Development uh, Housing Developers Act and the Housing Development Account, which actually um, helps a lot in, in, you know, in ensuring that most projects will go through or at least there is funding to carry the, uh, the project to its uh, completion. So... And we do not have mega size uh, developers like Avantgarde of China. Uh, but I think uh, looking at our the, the situation of our property developers in Malaysia, the big guys are fairly, uh, I, I, I believe that they, are, they have thought of their financials very strongly. And a lot of them are also backed up by our GLCs. So Malaysia, we are a little bit, maybe I, I would say that we are a bit more stable in terms of our property development sector. In about two weeks' time, we have the Budget 2022, which I think everyone is eagerly anticipating. So, you know, Ms. Chan, what is your wish list for Budget 2022? Okay, we, MIA, we put in a proposal to the Minister of Finance and we, in broadly, we have three wish lists la, and they are broken into the residential sector, the commercial and the industrial. Of course, in the residential sector, we wanted the government to focus more on the secondary market. The reason being because the secondary market actually is the driver of the property sector. When the market, when the secondary market property prices are strong, rentals are good, property are appreciating in prices, it will automatically drive demand for the primary market because then people know when they get into the property, in, you know, when they buy it new, when they come to the secondary market, they're going to make the money. So if the, prop, if the secondary market is strong, it will drive the primary market. So we want the government to focus more on incentivizing transactions in the secondary market. I mean, we have uh, many times suggested that HOC should be extended to the secondary market. Uh, so we, we came up with a proposal that was similar uh, to a certain extent to the HOC. We called this program, Program Kesejahteraan Perumahan Rakyat. And that would include incentive for sellers to dispose and incentives for buyers in acquisition. So that means we reduce either the selling cost or we reduce the cost of acquisition. And therefore, we are able to create movement because a lot of uh, people in the secondary market could be stuck with assets. And they need to unlock these assets in order to reuse the money yeah, for either reinvestment or for their business or for, for other purposes. So as a result, we need them to be able to transact. When there is movement, then we call the real estate multiplier effect kicks in. That means you know, everything rolls on from there. But it all starts with transaction movements. So we needed that. Yes, we want to get the secondary market moving. And a key recommendation is extending the home ownership campaign, HOC, to the secondary market. Why is there so much resistance not to do that? Um, perhaps I believe it was timing that, uh, that the focus was more on the primary market because uh, that was where the overhang situation seemed to be predominant, of course, predominantly at, at that level. Uh, so the government was looking towards the primary market, trying to resolve these issues. Um, uh, of course, we, we hold the opinion that it's not just the primary market that needs to be looked into, it's the secondary market. Because driving the secondary market 
pushes the primary market. So we we went to the extent of we are saying that of course the stamp duty exemption should be in place and the RPGT relief for sellers, of course, capped by you know, a certain numbers. And also we wanted uh, one more thing to be included, which is the financing part. Because financing, you know, you know, transactions need financing in order to happen. And we wanted that the government to look into an interest-only loan option for five years for those who purchase under this program. So it, we, we thought of it quite holistically on the seller side, the buyer side, uh, that includes the financing. Then we hope that um, you know this will reduce the potential NPLs and to avoid a systemic shock to the banking system. You know after the expiry of the loan moratorium in December. Yeah. So we thought something really needs to be looked into. Any other recommendations? Yeah. The second one is on the commercial sector. You know we all know that commercial, the office sector, is the worst hit, and uh, things need to be done, and buildings need to be repurposed for other uses. You know because if if you can't rent out for office use, then probably it has to be redesigned or, or renovated or repurposed for something else. So we we actually uh, wrote in and requested the government to consider incentives and grants where, you know, now we need to have social distanced office. You know, nobody can sit near each other anymore, you know, so we need to have, uh, we need to renovate our, our offices uh, to cater for the, you know, the social distancing and the SOPs and all that. So to give uh, tax incentive for uh, renovations, yeah, perhaps to look into an extension of that. There's a certain amount uh, in the budget 2021, uh, but we wanted a further amount for 2022. And also for RPGT exemption for sellers of property, uh, commercial properties. Uh, you know, so those, of course, of a certain, uh, we will cap it at a certain volume in order to, you know, avoid any speculations. Uh. But this is to assist uh, SMEs, right? where their assets are not their non-core business hmm. to dispose of the assets and therefore using that money to keep their company alive for longer. I think cash flow is very important now for industries, for the SMEs. That the government is going to be under a lot of pressure to balance its books, right? So um, it will be under pressure to introduce a lot of these taxes or even not give too many incentives away, to be honest, with, with respect to your corporate office and, and, and such. So if you were to pick one, which one would it be? Would it just be RPGT continue the extension? If you if, if we had to choose, then um, I guess uh, the immediate cash flow for sellers would be the RPGT. Yeah, you think a likely scenario is that they will reintroduce RPGT but perhaps loosen the terms? Uh, that could be. Uh, presently, they are already offering that three residential properties at uh, no RPGT and it ends at year end. Yeah. So... Um, I believe that it's likely that that it will be continued next year. I believe, uh, and we are also hoping. Uh, and, but and we are just ex- we are just hoping that they will extend it to commercial properties up to a certain value, yeah. In order for businesses, because we need to address the issues of businesses. When businesses suffers, uh, they they need to unlock their assets to get the cash for cash flow. So we need to assist them in this process without them, you know, having to lose too much. And therefore, keeping the business alive. Because when you keep the business alive, you keep the, um, the, the employed employed. And that goes, the, you know, there's a multiplier effect to all this. Yeah. Yep. Any other last recommendations you would give to the government? And the third one, we wanted to boost the industrial sector. We wanted to uh, the government to look into industrial trade parks. Yeah, for maybe things like uh, public or cooperative or smart warehouses. To, to grow this particular segment of the industry because it's really working on logistics at all. 
Well, that's all the time we have for today's property show. I've been speaking to Ms. Chan Ai Cheng, President of Malaysian Institute of Estate Agents. I'm Philip C. signing off for the morning run, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.